Today's sermon text is from Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall now be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you land of your, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not in your offspring, of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be your flesh and everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall, become she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abram and his son Ishmael were circumcised. 
and all the men of the house, these, those born in the house and those bought with the money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Phew, I'm glad that uh, <laughs> Pastor Matt will be explaining this. And I'm, and I'm glad that you said yes to reading before you read the text. Yeah. So. <laughs> Very sorry to know. <laughs> Uh, welcome to church, everyone. Hey, uh, just a couple preliminary uh, comments here. One is I love uh, sharing this pulpit. Like, I really love it. I, I value it. Um, if our church will be built on a personality, that personality will be Jesus, not some particular dude behind the pulpit. So when I go off and do other things for a little bit and rest or whatever, we have an amazing pastoral team who just bring it so faithfully every Sunday, and I'm so I'm thankful for Ron and Jason and Chris Battle, who preached in recent weeks. Man, what a gift they are to our church. Uh, the second thing I would like to say as a preliminary statement is I'm sorry if you're brand new, like, especially if you've like never come to church before or church is very new to you, sorry. Uh, it's, this is very like confusing and strange for you right now, I'm sure. Um, if you brought someone, like those of you who are part of the central family, you brought someone, you're like, I'm going to bring them to church. They're going to hear about Jesus. And then they start to hear about some other stuff. You're just getting a little uncomfortable. Thank you for inviting and uh, sorry to you. Uh, but also, uh, th this actually, this, this is the kind of thing where it's just, it's helpful to remind that we preach expositionally here. And that's a fancy way of saying, like, we go through books of the Bible or sections of scripture at a time, and we just preach the next text. What this does is it, it, well, it gets us to preach texts like Genesis 17. Like when would ever be that moment where I'm like, you know what the church needs to hear this morning? You know, I think the Lord's impressing it on me that Genesis 17 is like, that's important stuff for them to know right now. Like we just, I've never picked that. And so the, the good thing about just working our way through the text of scripture is that uh, we preach things we wouldn't choose. We hear things we wouldn't choose to read uh, or focus on in our studies of Scripture. And yet, my, my hope and my prayer is that we leave here this morning with more confidence in the Bible than we had when we arrived. You know what I mean? Because there's sometimes those texts where like, this is weird. This is strange to me. And therefore, I don't know. Like, but what if we leave here today being like, oh, I kind of get that. I get Genesis 17. You know what? That, that bolsters our faith. That bolsters our trust in the scriptures. And so we're working our way through. I drew the short straw and got Genesis 17 coming back. And so here we go. What a way to return. So um, here, three questions are going to kind of govern our time and shape where we go this morning. Here's the three questions. First, what's in a name? What's in a name? There's some name changes going on, some names revealed in this text. What's in a name? Second, what's the deal with circumcision? Like, what's this all about? And then third, <clears throat> do you have skin in the game? <laughs> I asked my wife earlier in the week, should I call it that? And she's like, no. <laughs> Here we are. So uh, third question, do you have skin in the game? It's because it fits in the text that I take the liberty to give you such a point. Let's pray. Jesus... Uh, help us, I pray, to do um, that precisely what, what I've just spoken about would take place. Like, Lord, we want to, we know that the Bible is your word to us, and sometimes we're confused by what you say. So, so God, I just pray that, that you would normalize a little bit some of this stuff that's confusing and we're quite removed from. Uh, God, I pray that your, your word would speak to us. 
And I, I, I pray that it would sink into our hearts. God, I, just, I pray for your grace as, as some of this stuff seems just plain odd or confusing, especially to newcomers. Jesus, I just pray that, that they would encounter you, that we would all encounter you. In Jesus' name, amen. What's in a name? Uh, earlier this year, uh, my son and I had the opportunity to go to a Canucks game, my son Boston and I. And I have a friend who's in like sales and marketing and through that had, had gotten to know Bo Horvat, a player for the Canucks a little bit. And so my friend just threw it out to me. He said, hey, like if you go to a game, let me know. And, and he's like, and I'll just tell Bo. Uh, and he'll put your name on like a, a meet and greet list or something. And I didn't really think much of it. But the day of the game that I was going with my son, I was like, oh, I wonder if that's true. Like, I wonder if that would happen. So I called up my friend and I asked and like, um, he's like, oh, okay, I'll check. And two minutes later, he texted me. He's like, yep, you're on the list. And so my son is huge into hockey, big Canucks fan, plays hockey, loves it, lives, breathes it. And so I just waited till after the game to tell him, hey, guess what? We get to go downstairs and meet your favorite players, right? And uh, so we go downstairs and, and Boston's just kind of like wide-eyed, like this is incredible, he can't believe it. And uh, my friend had given our information to Bo Horvat. And so Bo eventually comes out and he walks right up to my son and says, are you Boston? And my son's like, what? Like just things started to break in his brain and he's like, this doesn't make sense. Like, he was just blown away. We have a picture of it. We'll show you. That was his face for the next 72 hours. It was just like, oh. Like, the fact that this guy knew his name. I played it cool, of course. Like, this isn't a big deal. I was like, my my son's name's Boston. Sometimes we call him Bo. You're a center. He's a center. I I I just got uncomfortable. Yeah, I went for it. And he slowly left later. Uh, but, but here's the thing. Bo Horvatz, he's a famous hockey player on a team that doesn't make the playoffs, right? Just to, to put it all in perspective there. But then we read the Bible and we're familiar with Bible stories and we're like, God called Abram. And we're like, oh, yeah. Like, no, 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 no. Like, Bo Horvat said, hey, Boston. God speaks to Abram and says, Abram, you're now going to be called Abraham. Like God said his name. God knows his name. My son's names are Boston and Walker. Really, really deep meanings there. Boston means town by the woods. Walker means one who walks so it's like, like the significance of the names and saying the names and changing the names. It's like, oh, okay. Like, listen, Nahum Sarna said, in the psychology of the ancient Near Eastern world, a name was not merely a convenient means of identification, but was intimately bound up with the very essence of being and inextricably intertwined with personality. And the first name that God reveals in this text is actually a name that has not been used for God in the scriptures to this point. And here's what he says right out of the gates. He says, I am God Almighty. But in the Hebrew, he's saying, I am El Shaddai. If you've been in church for a few decades 
And if you have lived in the subculture of Christianity, it's an interesting place, isn't it? You'll be familiar with El Shaddai because of Amy Grant, right? <laughs> Amy Grant. And uh, we have, we're in for a treat this morning, right? We're in for a treat this morning as a special song following the sermon. Pastor Tyson is going to sing for us, El Shaddai. And I heard him practicing before the service. He sounds like a young Amy Grant. It's like angelic. No, that is not happening. That will never happen. But El, someone was like, oh. <laughs> El Shaddai means God Almighty. Almighty God. He's introducing himself uh, 13 years after Abram and Sarai took matters into their own hands and, and through Hagar produced a son named Ishmael. 13 years of, of really silence have happened and God appears and he's only going to expound more on the promises he's made and he begins by saying, I am God Almighty. In other words, he's confirming that he has the power to deliver on his promises. Everything I'm about to say, I'm saying as Almighty God. It sets the, it frames everything to follow. I'm the one who can do the things that I'm saying. These may seem inextricable to you, unbelievable to you. I can do them. I'm God Almighty. And then he says to him, no longer, verse 5, shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. What he's saying here is your name, Abram, which means exalted father, shall be changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. God Almighty is not only graciously reminding Abraham of his covenant promises to him, but he's actually, he's gloriously expanding them. What we see building upon Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, where we've already gone with Abraham, we're seeing God build upon those promises, not promising merely descendants who will be a nation, which is astounding on its own, but your descendants, he says, will be nations. Kings will come from you. This will happen through Sarah. You will have a son and his name will be Isaac. And you will bear a sign, which is circumcision. It's a mixed bag. There's some really great promises, and there's some stuff where he's like, huh? What was that last part? <laughs> what? That's what's happening here. He also goes on to talk about Sarai. Her name will no longer be Sarai. It will be Sarah. She is the only, this is significant. She's the only woman in the Bible whose name is changed. The promise on her is the same as the one on Abraham. Kings will descend from her, which is really astounding in light of Genesis 16, where they took matters into their own hands and Abraham had a child through Hagar, Sarah's servant. No, 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 no. Sarah, kings, nations will come from you. Now, both variants of the name Sarai, Sarah, mean princess, but we can look at it this way. Sarai looks back on her noble descent, but Sarah looks ahead to her noble descendants, who God is fashioning her into, what she will be known for, what history will be of her. Also, he declares, God declares that they will have a son his name will be Isaac, which means he laughs. It's fascinating because in Genesis 17, Abraham laughs at the idea that Sarah would conceive at the age of 90 and him at 100. 
Interestingly, in Genesis 18, Sarah will laugh about the same thing. God in his sovereignty is like, he will be named Isaac. He laughs. But it will happen. See, just as the Tower of Babel, just as with that, people tried to make their own way to God, Abram and Sarah tried to help God out by making their own plan in their own way. But God and his chosen people will not come by a a natural generation, but by supernatural grace at God's ordained time. In verse 21, he tells us, I will establish my covenant with Isaac. So what's in a name? Well, God is revealing more of who he is and also more of who they are in him. That's what's in these names. Second, What's the deal with circumcision? To understand circumcision, we we really first have to understand covenants. Now, we've talked a little bit about covenants in going through Genesis 15, where God makes a covenant with Abraham. But I I just want to expand a little bit on this theme of covenants, because I think it'll help us with this idea, this concept of circumcision. Our Bibles, our Bibles are made up of two uh, testaments, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament. The word actually comes from passages in Galatians and Hebrews and is actually better rendered covenants. It actually is more helpful and makes more sense for us to look at our Bibles by saying there's the old covenant and there's the new covenant. That, that, that's really what's going on. You read the New Testament and it's, it's explaining the new covenant, the covenant we have in Christ. But because because really testaments has taken root and no one would know what we meant if we were talking about turn to the old covenant. It's like, it's just not the familiar language, but it is more helpful language. Covenant is helpful because it shapes so much of how the Bible is put together. So we're going to kind of just work through the Bible. And one of the ways you can do that, I'm going to do it in like 10 minutes. But one of the ways you can work through the Bible is by tracing the theme of covenants. We uh, simply put, a covenant is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. They're often accompanied by oaths, signs, and ceremonies. So in Christian marriage, we we refer to marriage as a covenant. And there's the marriage ceremony or the wedding itself. And then in our modern context, the symbol, the sign of our marriages is like a wedding ring. Yeah, we, we could also say about, about the ceremony in terms of becoming a part of a local church. We could, we could talk about that maybe as what we refer to as our baptism and ministry partnership process, the class, and, and the Sunday where we hear the stories of faith and we confirm them into the, the church family, these, these ceremonies, these signs. In the context of the scriptures, when it's a, it's a covenant with God, in that kind of a covenant, in a covenant, God makes promises and in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. God makes the promise. He bestows it, an incredible promise. And he asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. The purpose of this partnership is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everyone else. So four times, really, in the Old Testament, God initiates a covenant. Covenant with Noah, covenant with Abraham, covenant with with Moses, really with Israel, and a covenant with King David. In the Noahic covenant, or the, the covenant with Noah, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption, and Noah and his family are the only ones left. 
And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, eventually the whole of creation will be set right. Do you know what the sign of the Noah covenant was? A rainbow. The Mosaic covenant on Sinai, the Sinai covenant, for the whole, it was for the whole tribe of Israel. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who will represent him to the rest of humanity. And the sign for this Mosaic covenant was Sabbath. In the Davidic covenant, The tribe of Israel has become a large nation ruled by David and God asks David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel and obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises David that one day one of his sons will come and extend God's kingdom and blessing over all the nations. And what's the sign of the Davidic covenant? Well, it was the anointing of the king. In the Abrahamic covenant, we've seen this, we've traced this so far in our series. God chooses him and he promises to bless him, to give him a large family and lots of land where they can flourish. In return, God asks Abraham to trust him and to train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this is that God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. And what's the sign of the Abrahamic covenant? It is circumcision. Why? Like rainbow, ah, circumcision, oh. Well, because the covenant promise with Abraham centers around descendants. You will have descendants as numerous as the stars, Abraham. You will have descendants like sand on the seashore, descendants, nations, kings, a people. So the sign is the organ of procreation is consecrated to God. As a sign of the covenant, the circumcision of the head of each family designated that family as his covenant family. That was the picture. That was the sign. Time goes on and we begin to see in the scriptures and the people of Israel, God's intention was never to possess a nation where the men merely bore some external sign. He made a covenant with a people in order to be their God and to be blessed to be a blessing. So, so Moses actually calls the Israelites out on this. He calls them out on their duplicity where, where there was this, this, this time, and it came often for Israel, where they wanted the benefits of the covenant, but they were rebellious against the God of the covenant. They wanted the benefits of the covenant, but they were rebellious against the God of the covenant. Moses says in Deuteronomy 10, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Moses speaks of the circumcision of the heart that was needed. They needed changed lives, changed hearts. Time goes on and revealed in the New Testament is what was concealed in the Old Testament, the sub-covenants, that's really what they were, the covenant with Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David, 
were sub-covenants, and they were always intended by God to point to another covenant. We know this as the new covenant. The New Testament expounds on, explains this new covenant reality, which is this. The new covenant is the culmination of God's saving work in his people. He promises to make an everlasting covenant with his people in which he will write his law on their hearts, bring complete forgiveness of sin, put his spirit in them, to empower them to love and obey his commands, actually give them the ability and the strength to do it and to raise up a faithful Davidic king to rule over them and cause them to be a light to the nations. That is the essence of the new covenant. Okay, so then what's the deal with circumcision in light of the new covenant? Well, Romans 2 tells us, for circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, like any of it, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. This was a bold statement for the apostle Paul at this time to Jewish believers. Here's what he's saying. True Jewishness, like to truly be the people of God, and, and true circumcision are not ethnic and are not physical, but matters of the heart and the work of the Holy Spirit. Circumcision doesn't substitute faith in God. It confirms it. So there were these, these, these Jewish individuals who had the external mark of the covenant, but not the internal workings of it in their lives. And Paul is trying to bring a corrective. Even when you look back to Abraham, the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed in faith and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed. And then circumcision just became a confirmation of it. See, it's those who repent of their stubborn hearts, receive the Holy Spirit, and been empowered by the Holy Spirit to, new, to live new lives in Christ. We're transformed by the Spirit of God from the inside out, not the other way around. Now, one more piece on the, the idea of covenants, and that's this. The covenants culminate in Jesus. Tim Mackey of the Bible Project fame said, God entered into a series of formal relationships with various human partners in order to ultimately rescue the world through Jesus. Let's see how we did that. In regards to Noah or the Noahic covenant, it is Jesus who brings all of creation into reconciliation with God, ensuring that God will never again have to wipe out all life on earth. Here's, here's a fascinating thing. That bow that God hung in the sky is a reminder that he would never bring that upon the earth again. As Jesus hung on the cross, he directed that bow directly on his son, Jesus, who took the wrath on our behalf. When it comes to the Abrahamic covenant, he's, Jesus is from the family of Abraham. So he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. I'm going to get a little graphic here. 
if we haven't already. In circumcision, the foreskin was cut off to save the whole person from being cut off in judgment. But on the cross, Jesus was cut off and bore the judgment that we deserved. When it comes to the Mosaic covenant, he's the faithful Israelite who was able to truly obey the law. Jesus is the obedient Israelite and is himself our Sabbath rest. When it comes to the Davidic covenant, Jesus is the king from the line of David, and so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. Jesus inaugurated God's kingdom in his life, death and resurrection, and now sits at God's right hand, reigning as shepherd king over the earth and will continue to reign forever over the new creation. Jesus is God become human and he did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we were all made to be but failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way to be renewed in partnership with him. So Jesus calls us to follow him and become part of his new covenant family. And Jesus is committed to making sinners failures like you and me into partners who become more and more faithful, not on our own strength, but on this, by the strength of the, with the, of the spirit that he provides. A renewed humanity partnering together with God to bless the nations and expand the goodness of his creation. What's happening here is God commits himself to a people, frail as they are, unworthy as they are, he binds himself to them and in Christ that bond can't be broken. Paul, Paul continues to work this through in the New Testament. He speaks about it in many places. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul is pushing back against those who require circumcisions. It's, it's one of the primary reasons he wrote the book to the Galatians. And he says in chapter 6, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. What counts? A new creation. A new creation is a people redeemed by God and who live for Jesus in the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God, for the good of others. What counts is a new creation. Colossians 2, Paul says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. This text speaks of a circumcision without hands. It kind of sounds like the Pollock Clinic, you know, like no needle, no scalpel. Okay. Are we still awake? All right, just checking. I hear that commercial all the time. Uh, a circumcision made without hands. What in the world is happening here? Here's what's happening. The identity of the new creation, their identity with Adam or with, with, with sin, with, with, with original sin inherent in every, all of humanity, their identity with sin has been put off and they've been raised with Christ and identity is placed in Jesus. That is what the new covenant is all about. So have you embraced? Have you received the new covenant? In other words, have you put your trust and your hope and your faith in Jesus? There are no stipulations. It's incredible. There are no stipulations to this unconditional covenant of grace. God both gives the promises and also brings them about through the work of his faithful son, Jesus. We simply receive the covenant of grace.
Finally, final question. Do you have skin in the game? We're handing out ice packs after the service just because, ugh. You ever walked into a room and it's like two groups of people, like there's a game of charades going on or something or heads up or some sort of game and people are really into it. There's a group here, group here, they're playing against each other and they're super into it. And you walk in and it's like, you don't really care who wins. You have no vested interest. You have no skin in the game. But have you ever like been playing those games and, and maybe you're a little bit competitive with games? Anybody? Anybody a little bit competitive when the games get going, right? And you're like, man, I have skin in the game. Like, I, we're going to beat them. And you're going nuts with the charades. Like, you're all over the place. And you're like, ah. You're really into it. Abraham had skin in the game. Let me, let me, let's just review where we've been. Like, God changes their names, Abraham and Sarah. He changed, straight up changes their names. God was changing the most personal thing about them. Their name. I'm going to change that. And it's even more personal for Abraham because of this. Abraham's name, I told you, Abram meant exalted father. He had no kids to the point where he was 86 years old. So up until that time, when anyone would be like, hey, what's your name? He'd say, exalted father. They'd be like, oh, that's great. How many kids do you have? I have no kids. And then Abraham and Sarah hatch a plan of their own, and he has a son at the age of 86, and then God comes along at 99 and says, no, no, it's no longer exalted father, it's father of a multitude now. So at 99 years old, it's like, hey, I'm father of a multitude. They're like, oh, wow, how many kids do you have? Well, I kind of have one. It's a long story. Like, what? Like, there's, like, imagine the mockery. Imagine the laughter around Abram and Abraham. And yet God comes along and says, this is your name. This will be your name. God changes the most personal thing about him. And then as we continue, we see that as a sign of submission to the covenant, Abraham was to be circumcised. So on top of the most personal thing being changed about him, this this was a faith now on top of that that penetrated even to the most personal areas of his life in a most painful way. And yet, in our text, we read twice. Verse 23, he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Verse 26, that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. Abraham responded to God where everything was changing. Everything was on the table. Identity, pain, all of it. Okay, God, that very day day. Do you know when the best time to be obedient to God is? Now. The best time to be obedient to God is is now, like right now. God speaks to Abram and that very day he responds in faith. Father of a multitude. How many kids? One. Okay, go do this thing. That very day. That's Christianity. It's total surrender. Controls every area of our lives. Now, we need to get this straight, so just listen close to this. Just as circumcision wasn't a condition of the covenant, but a sign of participation in it, Our responses to God aren't the conditions of our salvation, 
but are merely the appropriate and expected signs of our participation in the new covenant. So what are the appropriate and expected signs? Like if we've been saved by grace, like what does that look like? Well, I read to you in Colossians 2 something about, it's talking about circumcision, but then Paul shifts it to baptism and says you've been buried with Christ and raised with him, buried in baptism, raised with him in faith. What Paul is doing is he's tying our faith to baptism, which is a sign of a converted one. In every instance in the New Testament, you know who gets baptized? Those who just recently had come to faith. Faith was then meant to be expressed in a sign, which was a physical expression, a symbol of what had already taken place in a regenerate heart. Dying to sin, coming alive in Christ. That's precisely the way Colossians 2 talks about baptism. It's rooted in our faith, the faith that you possess. If you possess a faith in Jesus, I encourage you, if you have not been baptized as a believer, all my friends, get baptized as a profession of the regeneration that has taken place in you. I want to invite that to you into that. A sign of being a part of, of God's covenant community, the covenant community of Jesus, his local church, an expression of the bride of Christ, is that we gather together and a sign that we are his and we are in on this together is that we partake of a meal called communion together regularly. We do that monthly here. We partake in communion together, a sign of the body of Christ given, his blood shed for us. It is, a, it is a sign of what's happened in our lives, in our hearts. Paul goes on in Galatians chapter 5. It sounds a lot like what he said in Galatians 6, but he says it slightly differently in Galatians 5, 6. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Circumcision, uncircumcision. Here's what counts. Faith working through love. We have skin in the game when our faith puts on love. Love for God. Love for one another in the family of faith. And love for those who do not know Jesus. Do you know when the best time to be obedient to God is? Like now. Like now. Because here's what you're rubbing up against. Here's what I'm rubbing up against. DIY Christianity. Do-it-yourself Christianity. This is modern times Christianity, which is the idea of, man, I love, I love the community in church. I, I love the worship. I love the, the, the preaching. But the bit of, about around sexuality, I'm just going to make that part up for myself. Oh, I love this part. I love this part. But that over there, I don't agree. I'm going to make up my own over here. DIY Christianity. This is what we're pressed against. This is what presses your heart. And yet Abraham is told by God to be faithful. And that very day, he aligns his life to God. But we struggle with the idea that I want Christianity, but, but only the parts that I perceive as the good bits, you know? The John 3.16s, not the Genesis 17s. See, many people approach Jesus like they're interviewing him for a job as personal savior. And if he meets all of our subjective criteria, 
not the objective realities of who he actually is as revealed in the scripture, but our subjective criteria. Well, then he's got the job. Lucky Jesus. But the grace of God bestowed upon us, the sheer grace, merits an all-in, total surrender to God like Abraham, to Almighty God, not as we fashion him, but as he is. This very day is the time to come to Christ. This very day is the time to fight for your marriage, brides, grooms, to be Christ-like in your marriage. Now, today, this very day is the time. This very day is the time to reach out in love and compassion to those around you who are hurting and are broken They will know we are Christians by our love. This very day is the time to embody that. Not to muster it in and of yourselves, but to call upon the Lord. To to, to ask the Spirit to work in you something that you cannot be in and of yourself, but that His Spirit would work through you, that you might be a blessing. This very day is the time to ask Him to do that. This very day is the time to be a godly dad. This very day is the time to be a godly mom to your kids. This very day is the time to serve the poor and the marginalized. This very day is the time. John Walton said, what does our salvation cost us? Nothing. What does our faith cost us? everything. What he's saying is we're saved by grace alone, but as Christians, we live by faith. Holy Spirit, would you help us to live by faith? It's it's a strange thing to say, but God, would you circumcise our hearts? Enough of these external showings. God, would you work faith in us from the inside out? Work your salvation that you grant, that you gift, that we can freely receive. Would you work it in us and then out through us? Jesus, we praise you that you are the fulfillment of the covenants and that you offer us this new covenant that rests, hinges on your finished work. We get to come and receive And Lord, I ask that you would empower us by your spirit, you would convict us by your word, that you would bolster us in Christian community to live out our faith in love. May it be so. In Jesus' name, amen.